This is a Federal News Network podcast. The coronavirus has marched through parts of the federal regulatory apparatus like a boll weevil through a cotton field. CDC, FDA, and maybe even the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services have all trimmed, relaxed, or altered regulations. For a summary, we turn to the Senior Research Fellow at the Center for Growth and Opportunity, Will Reinhardt. Mr. Reinhardt, good to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for having me on and uh, talking about these issues. Now, you have tracked some of the changes, basically, uh, of CDC and the FDA, and this has been going back and mm-hmm. forth now, this relaxation of rules and procedures almost to the beginning of the year. Give us a quick summary. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of what we're trying to understand now, or at least what I'm trying to understand now, is is what exactly happened with these regulatory agencies, um, especially, you know, in the kind of the critical moments. And the critical moments for me really start somewhere around February 10th and pr- effectively end February 29th when there was a whole bunch of relaxation of different rules. But the idea with this larger project and, and really what I'm trying to uh, to understand is is really what happened, you know, what is it that what were the actual rules that seem to have, have made a, a really big difference in this in this crisis that seemed to have expanded testing. And there really are a couple, I think, key moments that occurred, per- particularly under, you know, February 10th is a, is a big one for me, but also February 29th when there was a, a pretty large expansion of, of testing and, and uh, kind of an opening up of the uh, regulatory structure. All right, let's start with February 10th first, because we don't get very many February 29th. Yes. Yes. So uh, February 10th, I think, is is really a critical moment, at least as I see it. This is when when the FDA is made aware that the CDC testing is really is, is pretty poor and that they're having troubles in their own own testing. So, you know, by at least, you know, going back a month, it, it seems that the CDC had had testing and could do COVID testing. Um, and they were among the first, it seems. Um, and, and it seems that they also ran their first tests around January 18th. You know, about a week later, the uh, CDC then says, hey, we're working on these set of tests and we're going to get them all, you know, we're going to get them to the public labs pretty quickly. And then about a week after that, you know, about a you know, week and a half or so after that, the beginning of February, the uh, CDC starts shipping all of these testing kits. But pretty quickly, they then realize, or at least the public labs start realizing that they're 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 having these faulty problems, as we now know, three agents. So around February 10th is when the FDA realizes, or at least is made aware, that that there are problems with the CDC testing. Now they don't then open up testing to the larger, um, you know, public laboratory and clinicians groups and kind of the larger public until the 29th, when they start relaxing rules and start, you know. Um, I don't want to say relaxing rules because they're not as they're, they're still pretty stringent rules. It's just a lot of the a lot of the hoops that that some companies would have to go through in order to actually get their tests approved are 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 you know are kind of rationalized in a much more real sense. So this February 29th date I think is pretty critical because this is when you know New York the New York um, public health labs were able to test. And then this is also when the University of Washington's virology lab is starting to able to test. And, and these types, you know, these 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 labs are doing really high quality work. It's just that we I think we can now recognize that what the FDA required of these of these labs is uh, it was pretty onerous at the time. You know, there was sometimes it was it was sending in, for example, um, a hardbound copy of their application into the FDA instead of doing everything online and 
you know, there's just a whole there's a whole range of things that were required by by these labs that really should have been dealt with much, much earlier. So, in other words, in relatively good speed for something like the FDA, 19 days, they did find brushwork that they could clear out and get things moving, yeah. maybe. Yes. Yes, very much so. Though in a quick changing public health crisis, there is this larger question of why it did take them, you know, all of this time. So by at least the 10th, we're, that they should have recognized there was a clear problem with their supply chain. And, and that's, I think, to me, that's probably the most critical moment, which you would, or at least naturally, I would start looking for other suppliers. You know, if, you, if you're working with one single supplier, which they were in the CDC to provide all these tests, I personally would then start looking, okay, who else is doing this kind of work? Where are they in the process? I, I think that, that those were critical moments because obviously that's when the virus seems to have spread pretty dramatically in New York and in Washington. And to me, uh, that's really the, the time period at which you would want to start looking for other sources of testing. And you'd also want to start considering, you know, public and private options that, that are probably occurring at that time as well. We're speaking with Will Reinhardt. He is Senior Research Fellow at the Center for Growth and Opportunity. Stepping back from all of this detail and the back and forth between the two agencies and what they were trying to accomplish, Mm -hmm. what's the bigger picture here in terms of the right level of regulation or how fast and how flexible federal agencies perhaps should be when confronted with a really dire situation? So I I think in part what I've found in in this research and in talking with people and in, you know, compiling a lot of the different reports that exist out there is that in some regards, these agencies really don't deserve as much blame as as people are keeping upon them right now. You know, they're actually in many instances shifting quite quickly and they're quite responsive. But at the same time, I think that there was not a real wide recognition even throughout February that the COVID virus was going to be as, as expansive in the United States as it, as, we, as it now clearly is. So a lot of people didn't recognize that this would be the, the source of a, um, you know, of a major pandemic. And, and you know, that's really, I don't, I don't think that people are to blame for the, the fact that they didn't recognize that this was going to be such a big issue. You know, MERS and SARS didn't come to the United States in a way that it came to other, other countries. And, and in fact, the United States, even, even at the end of last year, was rated among, you know, rated as having among the best pandemic response teams in the, in the world. So in many regards, I don't think that the agencies themselves deserve as much blame. It's difficult to create these tests. It's difficult to you know, to create high quality testing and get them approved through the FDA process. So in part, I don't necessarily blame them for some of the problems that have occurred. But at the same time, you know, I also do think that, you know, that that there really should be, you know, what in the future, in the near future, at least, we're going to have to look back at this and figure out exactly what went wrong and, and at what time periods. And I'm hoping to at least kind of start thinking through that. I think that right now we really do need to recognize that, yeah, there were some critical um, time periods where we did make mistakes and, and that, you know, especially with local uh, local healthcare practitioners, that you, let's not make those sorts of mistakes. You need to expand sure. testing as, as wide as possible and you need to start tracking people and you need to try to figure out where exactly the sources are and, and start trying to contain those sources. And do you expect that perhaps some of the regulatory excesses that were in place may not ever come back, such as you know, sending in a CD-ROM or a memory stick of something you already emailed and sent yes, in paper. Exactly. Yeah, I think some of that stuff will probably go the way of the dodo. I would hope that we, that in the future, we're a little bit more fast-acting when it comes to these sorts of responses. There's other things that will clearly occur in the near future once this crisis is finished 
So I haven't mentioned this entire, you know, what's called an emergency use authorization process. So once the Secretary of Health and Human Services, you know, declares a public state of emergency, there's this new process that's put into place. And that actually really kind of complicates things for local hospitals trying to respond to the virus. So there is actually a, a series of reforms that are being talked about for diagnostic testing at this current point, which is probably something that will occur because diagnostic testing is in this kind of weird regulatory space. The FDA claims regulatory authority over diagnostic testing, but at the same time, there isn't, Congress clearly did not give the FDA clear authority over diagnostic testing. And so that type of regulatory confusion, which actually seems to have contributed to a to a slowdown, especially in, in the University of Washington and some other Washington public health agencies, that, that, that regulatory confusion probably will be dealt with. There's a, what's called the Valid Act currently in Congress right now trying to deal with this problem. But, but very, very honestly, I think that, it, that diagnostic, diagnostic testing regulation will probably get cleared up, um, if nothing else, and, and we'll probably have a different sort of regime to deal with pandemic responses in the future. Now, it doesn't necessarily help us, obviously, right now, because we're in kind of a somewhat dire situation. But in the future, I do believe we'll be much, much better able to respond to these. And again, I think that overall, we've we've had some bad um, fumbles and some missteps. But by the same token, I, I don't necessarily think that the agencies are completely to blame for all of this. And now the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services has also relaxed a whole bunch of rules. You have to really know the Medicare language, and it is a language that is only partially resembling English, but they've also relaxed a lot of rules and regulations. Will you be looking into those also? Yes, that's actually the next big area that I'm trying to, to dive into. I've got a really long look at the, you know, the C, uh, CDC and FDA regulatory processes. But the next thing I think that we're going to have to really consider are, are tax-related issues. You know, as you mentioned, CMS, a lot of this has to come to, down to billing. So questions about billing were actually seem to have popped up a number of times early in the conversation, especially in, in Washington state. So the, the question about taxing, I've, you know, talked to a couple of my friends who work in, in this tax space and they have said, yeah, the taxes and, and what's happening, what has happened with CMS has actually been another big area of potential reform. And, and that's really probably also where we need to spend some time in trying to clear things as well. But again, I, I, I want to highlight the fact that, you know, there has been actually a pretty solid positive response, at least at the local level, to a lot of these problems. It's just that this virus really does overwhelm all, you know, it does really overwhelm all local capacity. And that really is just something that, you know, you can try to plan for. But in some ways, it's really just a, um, a unique event that we have to deal with. Will Reinhardt is Senior Research Fellow at the Center for Growth and Opportunity at Utah State University. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. We'll post this interview along with a link to the deregulatory timeline at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your devices. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash Podcast One to learn more and start your free trial.